Good morning, friends. Uh, If you have your Bible, I encourage you to flip or to turn your way to Philippians chapter 3. Today we are in our 13th week in this book. Uh, As you turn there, I sometimes introduce myself. I'm Byron Bradshaw. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. If you have any questions, feel free to approach me in the hallway following the service today. If you'd like to be connected or curious about our church or curious about membership, Today we we will be discussing Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, but we will begin with the context of verse 7. Uh, Verses 7 through 11 and verses 12 through 16 are kind of like hand in glove. They are inseparable and they really are joined together. But when you read, as, as we read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, you know, as I was meditating on it, I quickly realized that it actually, it seems very plain on the surface, but if you actually dive in, it's actually quite difficult to interpret and to understand exactly what David is discussing. Really, the question that I see that Paul, excuse me, not David, but Paul is discussing is he's answering the question, what is the goal or pursuit of the Christian life? Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 says, but whatever things were gained to me, Those things I have chosen or counted as detriment for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, but garbage, so that I may gain Christ, and that I may be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the right resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, this is our passage. And not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. A little bit confusing there, verse 13. Brother, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing that I do, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Amen. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing with the time that you have left on this earth? Worldliness, money, status, glory, relationships, or Christ? Perhaps a better question is, what would our calendar say about our pursuits? Oftentimes we pursue a phantom. A phantom called the tyranny of the urgent, rather than being driven by purpose and calling. What are you pursuing? To give you an image of our pursuit of Christ, I want you to think about a time of your life when you pursued something with 
gazelle-like intensity, as Dave Ramsey likes to say. When you think about pursuing something, I would imagine a few things come to your mind. Uh, To pursue becoming debt-free, to see your grandchildren again, to travel or to retire. To some of us, we pursue fame or wealth or a promotion or glory or we pursue the search of meaning. When I thought about this question of what do I pursue, I began to think about a relationship that I have. When I think about pursuing something, the most vivid picture that I have is the picture of pursuing my future wife. When we were dating, (laughs) we used to stay up until 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? Anybody else do that? Okay, on a landline. You still remember those things? Okay. Uh, but we would t- stay up late at night until 4 a.m. in the morning. We would look at the clock, oh man, um, you know, hang up the phone. But we would sit up talking about dreams, about God, about our future, about all the things personal. And we did that until my future father-in-law told me that that was not a good idea. Okay? But when we were pursuing marriage, we went on a date every week. Every Friday night, we made time for one another And of course, I picked up the tab. When we were dating, we would go out of our way to see each other. I used to come by Laurel's work about every time she worked. She worked at a local ice cream shop, but I really wasn't there for the ice cream. When we were pursuing each other, mistakes of the past were quickly forgotten, and the focus is always on the present and the future. But then as most marriages, the pursuit changes. But the pursuit of your spouse should never stop. The pursuit of a marital relationship changes when school or tragedy or work or children come along. But the pursuit of your spouse, the pursuit of my spouse should never stop. We never really arrive at perfection. We never arrive at perfect unity. But this unity should always be our goal. Marriage is a pursuit, and only when our pursuit stops, only when we put our feet in the sand, only until we demand our way or the highway do we encounter drift. Stopping the pursuit of one's spouse is like watching two pieces of wood drifting apart on an ocean of priorities. I share this image, this illustration, because I see that this is an image of our relationship with God. I share this illustration as a picture of our walk with the Lord. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, We enter into a lifelong pursuit. As a young man, all I ever seemed to hear was to believe, to believe, to believe, right? To believe, believe, believe. But I never remember hearing very often that I should also follow. I never heard that we should not only believe, but after belief, we should pursue our Savior with absolute vigor. 
The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, that is not the end. That is merely the beginning of your relationship with the Lord. And the rest of our days, as long as our lungs have breath, we should pursue Him all the more. As long as our lungs have breath, we must seek to prioritize Him above everything else, and we must pursue Him without hindrance. But what does that look like? What is the goal of this pursuit? What is the pursuit of the Christian life? That question is our quest today. If you have your Bible, open up again to Philippians chapter 3. As you turn there, to quickly set the stage for our discussion, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, really come at towards the end of Paul's personal testimony. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, Paul really shares his story of how he was raised in the Jewish law, in Judaism, how he thought that he obtained righteousness before God based on obedience to the law. That he thought that he gained being right before God by, we would say, by being a good person. But then Christ encountered him. He saw him. And when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and there and after, Paul was faced with a very simple but very difficult choice. And the choice is this. The choice is quite simple. It is either Christ or everything else. Paul was faced with the decision to prioritize Christ above everything else or to prioritize everything. That's what Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 3. He says more than that. He elevates it. I count, we saw this last week, I count all things to be lost. That word lost means detriment. I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. In order to really know Christ intimately, in order to really know Him, we must what? We must choose Him above everything else. That's the choice. But I, as I unpack the text, because as I see Philippians chapter 3 and beyond, as I preach the Bible week after week after week, after two and a half years of doing it multiple times a week, it still has not gotten old. I still enjoy it. It's like as I read the text and as I prepare the text and share it with you all, it's like the pages are just dripping truth. But as I unpack the scriptures, I really see five basic truths. These are not the only truths, but I see five truths. Number one, the more and more I preach, the more and more I am convinced that the Bible is truth, that God is real, that God loves you, that you need Him, and that you can know Him. Let me say that again. The more and more I preach and the more and more I live, I'm convinced of five truths. That the Bible that we read here on Sunday mornings, that we preach unapologetically, this is truth. That God is real, that God loves you, that you need Him. And, as Christians, you can know Him. I said last week, I was the age of 17 years old, and I heard maybe for the first time that I was 
meant to have a relationship with the Lord. I was meant to know him. And that's what Paul says in verse 8. But how do we actually pursue him? How do we actually build this relationship? What are we actually trying to do? In order to really understand this passage, what I want to do, as I mentioned, it's a little bit confusing, but what I want to do is, what I usually do when I preach a text is I usually start at verse 12 and I slowly work my way down to verse 16. But what I want to do, I actually want to start with the primary idea of this passage. And the primary idea is found in verse 14. Notice it with me, of chapter 3. It says, I... Press on. Notice that. What image comes to mind? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The primary idea of this passage is to pursue. To pursue the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That sounds great, but what does it mean? But when you read verse 14, what comes to mind? What image does Paul evoke? As I read this passage, the image that came to mind was a race. That when I read verse 14, I think of the 100 meter dash, right? You have eight people lined up at the starting line, and as the gun goes off, they run the race. And this is the exact image that Paul is trying to evoke in us. Paul sees the Christian life oftentimes as a race, seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that he is trying to run a race, but not just to finish, but to finish well, to finish for a first place prize. Unlike many Christians, Paul is not running the Christian life for glory or for fame or for feeling Paul is running the race for the prize, and notice what it says, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That phrase sounds nice, but what does that mean? This phrase is the key to really understanding this passage of what it means to pursue our Savior. And when I read this phrase of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, when I read this phrase this week in Panera Bread and before, I thought about my personal calling. Instantly. That's what came to my mind. That my personal calling to be a pastor and to preach the word. You know, I was part of a church in my past that thought everything was a calling. Okay. I'm called to this and I'm called to do this. It was like, it was like this most overused word. It was totally misused and abused, okay? That basically I'm hungry, therefore I'm called to eat. It was just craziness. But I don't think Paul is really referring to his own personal call to be a light to the Gentiles. He's referring to something else. He's referring to the prize, the upward call that every Christian has. Notice verse 12. Go back in your text. Verse 12. So not that I have already obtained it. What is he talking about there? Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I race, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What is Paul pursuing? What is his goal? I would say his goal is to become perfect. That's what he said, not I've already attained it or have already become perfect. Paul's pursuit in the Christian life, as he lives, as long as his breath 
once have breath, he is pursuing perfection until Christ returns. That's what he says. But today, let's go a little bit deeper. What does it mean to become perfect? Literally, that word perfect is to become complete. It is it shares a similar root word where Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. That word means to be mature, or to be perfect, or to be complete. But what does it mean to be perfect? Perfection in this world can only be seen in one. Perfection, completeness, blamelessness is seen in only one person in all of the scripture, in all of eternity. That person is who? That person is who? That person is who? Thank you. The only perfect person that we see in the scripture and beyond that we know actually lived was Christ Jesus. So what I see in verse 12 is that Paul is basically saying that he is pursuing becoming perfect, but he is pursuing becoming Christ-like. That would make total sense within the context. Think about chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says the same thing, that we should have this attitude. We should think this way to be like Christ. And then in verses 6 through 8, he unpacks for us what that actually means. What are we to pursue? We are to pursue becoming Christ-like. But what's the key? What's the most important part of to become Christ-like? This is the key. Without the Bible, without the instruction of the Scripture, without seeing His example in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the first part of Acts, without actually seeing His example, what picture do we have to attain? That's one of the reasons why we preach the Scripture without unapologetically, almost obnoxiously, spending 20 weeks going through the book of Philippians. This is the key to understanding what it means to become like Christ. But we also have to have other things. There's someone living inside of you that when you believe in Jesus Christ, that you have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand the Scripture in order to become Christ-like. Number two, we must have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us. And then Number three is we have to have one another. That's why I talk about it all the time. What does the scripture say? James chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you can be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What does Hebrews chapter 10 say? Let us consider how to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The goal of the Christian life, that as you live, the goal should be to become more and more and more like Christ. To shed the sin of your life and to pursue him all the more. But we do not run our race alone. Can I say it that way? That we need one another. I say this all the time. That we need to hear and to see and to meditate on and to memorize the scripture. That we need to walk by the spirit, but we also need one another. That's why relationships with other Christians are so important. But what? If the goal is to become more like Christ, to become perfect, then what? We never really attain it. 
It's just like our marriage. We should never, we should uh, pursue a perfect unity, perfect selflessness, but we never really attain it, but that should still cause us to strive for it. We never really become perfect, but we should still strive to become more and more like Christ. Ultimately, we never become perfect, but that's why grace exists. And not only does God's grace extend to us, but God's grace extends through us to others and even to ourselves. But I want you to notice the stopwatch. I want you to notice the beginning of verse 12. It says this. It says, not that I have already obtained it. What is he referring to? He's referring to verse 11 where it says this. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So what is Paul really saying? That Paul's pursuit is to become perfect or to become Christ-like until what? Until he has obtained the resurrection of the dead. What is that referring to? That's referring to the return of Christ. So catch what Paul is saying. That Paul will pursue Christ as long as his lungs have breath and as long as Christ has not returned. What is the pursuit of the Christian life to pursue Christ's likeness until Christ returns? So we know our finish line is death or Christ's return. We know our goal is to become Christ-like. But how do we run? That's really the answer. That's really the question at the heart of this, on a real practical level, how do we actually run the race to win the prize? I want you to think about a race itself. I want you to think about the image that Paul is meaning to convey here. When the gun goes off, let's say you're at the blocks, right? You have eight people, right? You know, seven other people lined up with you. And you're about to race. And then all of a sudden the gun goes off. Bang. How do you actually win when you start racing? You don't win by thinking about the past. You win by focusing on the future, right? If your mind is always focused on how you got out of the blocks or how you did this, you will never win. You win by setting your eyes on the prize in front of you. And that's what Paul says in verse 13. Notice what he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I do, circle this word, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. What is the pursuit of the Christian life? To pursue Christ's likeness until he returns by forgetting the past and focusing on the future. Forget what lies behind. And reach forward to what lies ahead. That's what he says. That in the race of life, forget what lies behind and focus on the future. Focus on life. Focus on serving God here and focus on the prize to come. But I want you to think about those two key words. Notice the words. It says forgetting and reaching forward. What type of action do those describe? Those two words, forgetting and reaching forward, describe, in my opinion, a very conscious, purposeful choice. 
that in a Christian life, in order to pursue Him well, we must make a conscious decision to leave the past in the past and to press forward to the future. I think we can learn from the past, but each day, moment by moment, we must make an intentional decision that when we crawl out of bed, we must press forward to the will of God in our lives for that day. But as I read verse 13, it kind of got me thinking. What Paul says is, forget what lies behind. If you're in the race to win, forget the past, but reach forward to what lies ahead. But as I was meditating on this passage, it got me thinking about life. In the Christian life... can. Be transparent with me for just a second. In the Christian life, we get these two re- reversed. That we oftentimes focus on the past and forget about the future. Can I get an amen to that one? So many times that we run the Christian life regretting things from the past and totally forgetting about the goal of the future. We get these two swapped. No wonder we're tired. No wonder we're confused on how to run the Christian life. There's so many times that we are so consumed by our past mistakes and sins that it cripples us in our race forward. How can we expect to run the race of the Christian life while we look backwards? Forget what lies behind and reach for what lies ahead. So many times we get these backwards. We are focused on past mistakes that we have made. Our past sin, our past mistake with another person. A mistake in parenting. A mistake on a report. And we become so consumed by what we did that it cripples us spiritually. We are stuck in the quicksand of our past resentments some of us here today i will say this that this is a family thing in my life is that we we some of us struggle with past resentments the way people hurt us in the past or past business dealing some of us are crippled or stuck in the quicksand of past goals that we did not accomplish let's be transparent the past as a christian because we are fallen and sinful the past consumes us. Let it go. Focus on the future. Focus on becoming Christ-like, that as long as your lungs have breath, focus on becoming more and more like your Savior, Jesus Christ, and less and less about the mistakes that you have in the past. But allow me to ask you a question. Why? Why do we struggle with this idea? Why do we struggle forgetting the past and focusing on the future? Why do we have the tendency on making those two reversed? Why do we have a hard time just forgiving and letting go of our past mistakes? Perhaps the reason we struggle to forgive ourselves, perhaps the reason we struggle to forgive others, 
is because we struggle to understand God's forgiveness to us. The reason oftentimes that we are stuck in the quicksand of our past mistakes is because we struggle to really understand God's forgiveness to us. What does the scripture say about God's forgiveness to us? If you don't have these circled in your Bible, do so. 1 John 1, nine. That if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. What does Romans chapter 3 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, declare innocent as a gift by His grace through the purchase or redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a satisfaction in His blood through faith. And this was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over our sins previously, currently, and forever committed. Forget what lies behind and focus on the future. Your sin is paid. Let me say that again. Your sin is paid. It was paid for on the cross. And if your sin is paid for, then why do you beat yourself up over it? I think we should learn from our mistakes. We should learn from our sin. We should offload them. We should learn, but we should not be crippled by the past. Forget what lies behind. It's what he says. And focus or reach forward to what lies ahead. That we have a goal is Christ likeness. How can we expect to become more and more like Christ if we are focused all the time on what we did or what another person did wrong to us. This struggle of mixing these two is real. And it is an epidemic in our lives. But we have help. That you do not walk through this life alone, but as you struggle to remember to forget what lies behind and to reach forward to what lies ahead, that as we struggle with this, we have a helper. Notice verse 15 and 16. It says, let us therefore, as many are, as are perfect, same word as verse 12 here, in my opinion, Paul means mature. Let us therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude. Notice that phrase. It's the same one used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that this is the primary command. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this attitude. Think this way. To let it go and press forward. And if, notice this next part, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Who is our helper? Says. 
And if, any, and if anything, you have a different attitude, if you aren't thinking this particular way of forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to the future of becoming Christ-like, who will reveal it to us? It says, it says, God will reveal that also. So catch it. That if we get off track, if we get the two backwards, God will reveal it to us and help us do a course correction. What is the goal of the Christian life is to pursue Christ's likeness until Christ returns by forgetting the past and focusing on the future with God's help. But for my application today, what I have been doing recently is asking myself the question, what is my goal? What do I want the outcome of this message to be based on the text? The outcome, I would see, is obviously to pursue Christ's likeness, but it is, number one, by releasing the chains of past mistakes and sins, and number two, by reaching for the prize of knowing and becoming like Christ. Friends, release the chains of past mistakes and sins. Let it go. Your sin is forgiven. You may not think it is as a Christian. You may not believe it is here. But according to the scripture, your sin was paid on the cross. It was He has paid for all sin, past, present, and future through His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Whether the conscious or whether your spouse or your family members or your mom and dad say differently, your sin is paid. Let it go. But some of us like to run the race with a big backpack on that we stuff full of thoughts and full of errors and full of self-condemnation and full of grudges and resentment. Put it down. How can we really run the race of the Christian life being weighed down? How can we run the Christian life running like this? And number two, reach for the prize. Press forward to the prize of knowing and becoming like Christ. I cannot say this enough, that you are meant to know God. But it comes when we prioritize Him. That our relationship with the Lord, if we are pursuing Him, that relationship should cause us to slowly become more and more and more Christ-like. And as we get off the path, God is there to help. That's what it says. Friends, let us stop making Christianity about everything that it's not. Let's move past just habit control. But rather, let our love for the Savior grow and grow each day where we become more and more like Him. And that as we realize more and more the grace that God has given to us, let us then give grace to ourselves and our mistakes. Let us let it go. If God has forgiven us, then let us let it go. But then let's do this more. If God has forgiven us, then also let us extend grace and love to other people. Right? 
We oftentimes are our own worst critic and we really like to feel better than other people based on our own self-righteousness. Just let it go. Become more, more like Christ, a man who was perfect that we should strive to attain, a man that was full of love, that cared for people, and that was always about glorifying his Father in heaven at all times. Reach for the prize to win the race, to spread his glory here for his glory there. Before I close, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gives you a gift of righteousness by faith in his Son. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then believe in him and you will be saved. You you can't earn heaven. You can't achieve heaven. Heaven was given to you through Christ Jesus. And if you believe in him, that you will be saved. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you for today. Lord, remind us continually to let go of the past. Forget what lies behind. And let us focus on the future. Let us focus on becoming more and more perfect, more and more Christ-like. And Lord, I thank you for the grace and mercy that I see in this passage that you are there to help us correct our course as we get sidetracked. Lord, I thank you for today that we would pursue you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And Lord, that every day that we would wake up, that we would know you more. Lord, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you uh, just that we can gather together in worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.